Wonderful. Good morning. How are you all? You're well. Hello to all those online. We love you too. That is truthful. Except for Daryl, my friend in Canada. I'm not so sure about him. That's just a joke between him and I. I know I think he's watching. Um, my, my, gr- my grandfather sent me a joke that, um, please don't be offended by. It was just very funny to me, so I just thought I'd tell you guys. He sends me this joke. He's, I don't know, 90? He's 90? 89? And he says, a lady goes to court. Very elderly couple go to court. She was caught shoplifting. She stole a can of peaches. So now, judge doesn't know what to do. So he says, all right, my dear, how many peaches were in the can? She says, six. So he says, all right, we'll hold you for six days. So the, <laughs> the husband's sitting there, and he's saying, hmm. And he goes, hey, Your Honor, she also stole a large can of peas. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny to me anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, it's good for, for us to have fun and laugh, right? You know, it's just wonderful. I went away, uh, not this week, but last week to pray for four or five days, and um, just, you know, you see God's goodness. It's really God's goodness. And you know, joy, joy, it's funny, Chris came to me, he says, there's such a spirit of joy here, and I studied their joy, (laughs) and I just think there's such a major um, revelation and truth coming back to God's people of the power and the, the, the privilege of joy and how to actually, it can actually be a weapon in our hands. So I was going to speak about joy today. Really it was, but I'm not. So, (laughs) but I I am soon. I want to speak to us today about kingdom warfare, spiritual warfare, kingdom warfare. And so, you know, when I was away with the Lord up on the mountain, literally, and uh, the Lord just began to speak to me about this, and just to equip, you put it on my heart, just to begin to equip God's people again with a very, in a sense, foundational, basic understanding of warfare, of spiritual warfare. And so I was told by someone that every once in a while, you know, in the business world, you have to give a bluff, bottom line up front, before you start the meeting, what's the bottom line up front? So I'm going to read you a little bit of my where are we going? What's the bottom line up front? Because then we're going to get into something today, which is very much of a, a teaching. And so please stay awake. Very important. We're going to read lots of Scripture because some of these things, unless you see them in Scripture, we walk away. You have to be grounded here. So bottom line up front, as I said, the Lord put on my heart to do equipping in this area. But when I say spiritual warfare or kingdom warfare, people have this mindset of like, you know, intense, you know, uh, intercession and binding and loosing and like taking that realm head on. And at times, some have to do that. But a lot of spiritual warfare isn't that. You know, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they were having all manner of supernatural activity, if we can call it that, all manner of that. And they were having gifts and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the power of God and the miraculous was in a sense normal, yeah? So he wrote to them, giving some explanation as to what's going on. And yet he says to them in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, I think it is, he says, I cannot speak to you as spiritual, 
but as carnal and as to infants or babes in Christ. So he sees this, what we think spiritual, happening supernatural, and he says, I cannot actually speak to you as spiritual because the attributes of the one who does it are not present. Does that make sense? And so, spiritual warfare is not just the manifestation of the Spirit and the power and intercession in a sense, taking authority, that can be a part of it. But spiritual warfare can be literally a kind act, can be anything that is of the nature of God. Is Now, when you think about it as warfare, some people get so warfare-focused, and that's actually very unhelpful. But every time we bring agreement to, the, to heaven, every time we bring agreement to the heaven of God, every time we do that in decisions, in speech, someone reacts at us, we don't react at them. Every time we do that is actually an act of warfare. The enemy has pushed back. And so warfare is, you're all in it whether we know it or not. Also, there are principal spirits, and we're going to talk about this today, rulers, principalities, the Bible calls them, that are over different geographical regions. And some people s- struggle with that, so I'm going to show you in the Bible, that are over geographical regions, and they are trying to set up strongholds. A stronghold, Paul wrote again to the Corinthians, talked about strongholds, and there was actually a castle and a fortress overhanging Corinth, so he used that imagery, saying there's a stronghold, uh, a castle, a fortress that we can actually, it's the enemy's way of thinking, it's the enemy's desire, it's the enemy's path for life that he wants to inflict on an entire group of people, on a geographical area, on a culture, on a family. And it can become, when we give agreement to it, like a fortress that he hides in by the way we think. Does that make sense? And so we're going to look at that. And so then, mighty weapons. Mighty weapons. The Bible says we have been given mighty weapons in God for the pulling down of those strongholds. In the height of Israel's history, you see that strongholds become a positive thing says David in the strongholds. The Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into the stronghold and are saved. So we actually are not just called to pull down, but to displace with truth. Why? Because the nature of truth is that it sets at liberty. It's how you know how much truth you have. <laughs> are you free? Truth sets at liberty. That's its very nature. And so it's to actually displace that, which is based on lies, and bring truth to whatever area, region, family, person, and uh, a stronghold of truth, in a sense, is, replaces it. So, today is almost a bit of a cheap shot, because I'm just going to read scriptures in the right order, really. And uh, we need to have that lens and that understanding. But I think it was my sister who asked me, I don't know when, my older sister I don't know, maybe a year ago, six months, she said, if you can give anybody a gift, any gift, obviously things of the kingdom, any gift, you know, what would you give them? And um, I knew straight away, I said, I'd give them this amazing kindness that the Lord gave to me, many, just when I got started, was was a fundamental belief that the Word of God is absolutely infallible and true. Because unless that is there, um, when life gets tough, we question all manner of things. And every believer has to come to a point 
every believer, whether either bend themselves around the Word of God, whether they choose that, or they choose to bend the Word of God around themselves. And there is a vast difference between the two. Yeah? Both heaven bound, both going to heaven, but vast difference between the two. So, we're going to speak about this in different ways. But first, I'd, if possible, those of you at home, you're welcome to stay seated if you want. But could we stand one more time? Sorry, just to awaken us unto life, as the Bible says. We could just use that scripture out of context. But, um, but I wonder if we could pray, and, and I don't want to pray. I want, I'm asking you guys to pray with me today because some of what I want to talk about is it's not to be more aware of the enemy. That's unhelpful. It really, it really is unhelpful. But I know he doesn't, the enemy doesn't want you to understand some of this. It's actually, I'm going to speak about it basically as if no one's ever heard about it before, very basic. But it's a platform for where we're going for the coming weeks. So I'm going to ask you to pray. You know, Ephesians, open the eyes and ears of my heart. Oh, Lord, let me receive revelation. And if you want, you can pray for me. That'll be nice. So can, can we all pray together, even you at home? That'll be wonderful. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power, the authority, the eternity of it. I thank you for that, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pierce the hearts with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to enlighten our eyes and our hearts and our ears to the truth of your word. Can we agree? God's people say, amen. All right, wonderful. So before we get into kingdom warfare or spiritual warfare, is to understand that, you know, when you speak about this, it sounds as if God and the devil, there, there is a, the greatest, the most important thing in life, I'll start there, the most important thing beyond anything else, anything else, people say that's quite a statement, it's true, the most important thing in life is eternity. The reality of heaven and hell, they're, they're both real, that eternity, it supersedes everything else, everything. So, when we speak about this kinds of things, sometimes people think, oh, it's a bit weird or it's a bit far off. But actually, it's very basic, it's very simple, but it's extremely profound and important. But it can sound like that you have the devil over here and you have God over here and there's a, there's a battle. That is not true. You have God and, and that's it. You know, the, the opposite of the enemy or the devil or Lucifer before he fell is Michael, not God not Michael the archangel, not God, not the Holy Spirit, no, 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 it's, it's just God. And the devil did not have any of his own authority, none, none. Why? Otherwise, he would have, he had to discover or usurp or attach himself to Adam's authority. He had to, because he had none of his own. And so, I, for a long time, I, I, in a sense, moved away from warfare because it can create a wrong culture. It really can. You've heard me say many times, don't live in reaction to darkness or reaction to the enemy. Don't do that. Live in response to your Father. Live in response to Him. You don't see Jesus running around just focused on warfare. It doesn't help. Fall in love with Jesus and love one another. But really, we can go home after that statement. But... We have to have some understanding. So I'm going to do something I don't like to do is to focus a little bit of the enemy today. I don't like to give him that much focus or attention because he's not worth it. 
but we have to have some understanding. If you go to a military base, they train you largely each other. Uh, I know there's many uh, veterans here, team and each other and weaponry and stuff, but you also have to have some understanding of that. Mm. So, we're going to start with heavens, heavens and kingdoms. The concept of heavens or the truth of heavens, in the beginning God created the heavens, plural. When Christ ascended, he ascended above all the heavens, plural. There are multiple heavens. Some of this I don't have the time to go into, but you have the third heaven. Paul speaks of the third heaven. The second heaven is not mentioned in the Bible, but we, it's referenced. But you have third heaven, where, which Paul says is where the abode of God. He speaks about it, where angels that are still, in a sense, subservient to the Lord, angels of heaven ministering spirits, they are in heaven. We are seated, our spirit man, we are seated in heaven, up there with Christ, because we are in Christ. Very basic. Then you have second heaven, which is the demonic realm. People have a concept that the devil is in hell. Actually, the Bible clearly teaches he's on the earth and in second heaven. Clearly teaches that. And then you have first heavens, which is in the natural heavens. Jesus said you can see the heavens. You can discern, you know, you look up the stars, the sky, the atmosphere. You can see the heavens of the earth. And you can tell what weather is coming and so forth. But there is a second heaven, which is the spiritual kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. And it is, in a sense, in between, as there's some Greek phrases that we may get into at some point, which is the battleground. There's a major battleground that you see it in the book of Daniel, very clearly represented, very clearly represented. The, the, the Lord wanted to get a message through to Daniel, but there was a battle that went, that went, that happened between there and us. Okay, so are we good? So you can go to Luke 11. We're going to talk a little bit about the kingdom of Satan. Actually, I think I have it here. Luke 11, verse 17 to 18. And again, every one of these scriptures that I'm going to read, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We all just love the Bible so much, so we're just so happy about it, which is wonderful. But um, I, can't, I cannot give the context for all of them because we'll be here for a week. But Luke eleven seventeen, Jesus was casting out a demon. And they accused him that he did it by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of the devil. So he answers, he says, verse 17 to 18, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falls. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. The reason I read that is Jesus prescribed to Satan a kingdom. Do you see that? Out of the mouth of the Son of God, Jesus prescribed to Satan a kingdom. Now, and I said, there's multiple heavens, there's three heavens, but there's two spiritual kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of God. And the enemy is not, in a sense, in hell like we think. That's, a, in a sense, a young, a young understanding. The Bible says he roams around like a roaring lion upon the earth. The Bible says that he's in second heaven. It talks about the prince of the power of the air. So, how did that happen? Well, Genesis 1, verse 28, then God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful, this is the first commission given to man. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue. That word subdue, and when it says subdue it, it doesn't mean 
like the physical earth. If there was a battle between, uh, maybe a, people are so sensitive about some of these things, but a battle between two nations, we don't say I invaded wherever and, you know, we subdued the land. You, you talk about the land, but you're meaning the people, right? The, the people, the country, it's the same language here in the Hebrew. Multiply, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue. This is in the garden before the fall, what was there to subdue? That word subdue means to take into bondage by force. Huh. What was there to subdue? This is before the fall. Well, who was there first? The enemy. So what was outside of the garden? Fill the earth, multiply, fill the earth, and take, into, take by force, subdue, warfare. Warfare, very, very straightforward. Enemy was there first. We see that in the book of Revelation. That's why the earth was confused and void and in chaos. It was the expression of who he was. So, <laughs> then the enemy comes to Adam and subdues him through deception and lies and deceit. Yeah? We know the story, right? Don't have time to go there. But the enemy subdued him, usurped his authority, and so then the Bible calls the second or last Adam, which is Christ. He comes into the world to restore what is broken and distorted and wrecked in the garden, and he goes into the devil. It's funny, my dad read the Scripture this morning. He goes into the wilderness to, in a sense, win in the spirit or to take, to take authority over that issue. You know, with spiritual warfare, we have to understand it's not about warfare, but sometimes you have to win a battle in the spirit before it can get lived out practically. Jesus won that battle of his ministry in the desert. He won the battle of the cross in Gethsemane. So here, you see in Luke 4 verse 5, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That's a spiritual experience, in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority, some translations say power, it's exousia, the word is authority, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. We know he's trying to give Jesus a shortcut around the cross. You don't have to suffer. What did Jesus want originally? Before the, before, because there was a fall before the fall of man. It was the fall of Satan. And what did, what did, what did he want? Well, he wanted worship. From who? From Jesus. I will be like the most high. I will ascend above the clouds. I will, uh, five I wills of the enemy. So Jesus comes. And he says, hey, you know, I want, you know what I want, worship. I know what you want, your creation, your people, the love, the affection of your heart. So this, all this authority, all the kingdoms, they have been delivered unto me. Who gave it to him? Adam. We know this. It's good to hear it, right? Adam gave it to him because Adam was given authority. And he usurped that authority through deception, through agreement. Now he has it. He's saying, you've come for the keys of the kingdom. I understand that. I'll give them to you if you do what I want. Jesus said, basically, shut up. So, pretty much. John 14, 30. It's not going to come up behind you. 
I will no longer, Jesus, Jesus, this is his farewell discourse. This is one of the last times he speaks to them. It's John 13 to John 17. Then he goes to the cross. It's a great teaching, largely about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler, that word is prince or archon from ark, ruler, principality. The ruler of this world, speaking about the enemy, is coming and he has nothing in me. Isn't that good news? So, that's pre-cross, Luke 4 and John 14. Then look after the cross, Ephesians 2, it says, and you he made alive, that's you when a person gets saved, your spirit is dead. When you get saved, you come alive. Your spirit man is awakened unto life, the Bible says, and the nature of God comes into you and you are different, you are changed. There's a metamorphosis that takes place, a transformation that begins to take place. And he says, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, listen to this, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, tells us it's the spirit, he's the spirit, the devil, who now works in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience isn't a harsh way of speaking about those unsaved. It's saying because they have an old nature, they will, burn, but they will naturally follow that, their minds are blinded. Okay, it's not a, dis, a disparaging uh, remark to them. But he says what? The course of this world, the, the setting up of the systems and the structures and of life, follow what? They will be set up according to the prince of the power of the air. But he's a false prince, just by the way. Jesus is the prince of peace and a king. So, but he's the spirit who works within those in the world. And they don't, they're, they're, they're unaware of it. So the enemy has a very organized, structured system and hierarchy. Very. He actually, he cannot create. He gets it from before when he, he saw God's organization, God's structures. But the Bible teaches us some things, but let's go to Ephesians 6. We all know this verse. You, you tell it in children's church, but it's often misunderstood. For we do not wrestle, Ephesians 6, 12, against flesh and blood. That word wrestle is important. It means it's close. It's, gonna, it's close battle. It's not fight like with a gun, it's wrestle. It's sometimes up close and personal. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that's other people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I've got all the Greek words for you, but I won't go over them. But they, they're important to understand. So Derek Prince, he, what a great man, he was a teacher of Greek and Hebrew in Oxford and Cambridge. So I think he knows a little bit more than probably anyone here, definitely me. And uh, he rewrote that in the English. I was so encouraged when I saw he rewrote that, because you know, if you come to this church, I often do that. I try to rewrite the meanings. And I saw he did that. I was like, good. We're in good company. But he wrote, rewrote this, and this is what it actually means in the Greek. For our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies. I love that. But they are persons, personalities, nevertheless, spirits. For our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies, but against rulers with various areas. That's geographical areas. 
with descending orders of authority against, and also we wrestle against the world dominators. He actually said the reason he uses that term, its exact translation, is God will never dominate a person. He gives love and freedom of choice. He will never dominate. Against the world dominators, against the present darkness, against the spiritual hosts, that's the word army, spiritual armies of the wickedness in heavenly places. So they stand in rank against God's people. So when I said the enemy is a structured system, I'm going to give you a quick few things that I've learned many years ago that I sometimes look at. The enemy, number one, has a way of thinking. He has a, the Bible in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, it actually says uh, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, the first letter, he, he deals with some issues. They kick a guy out of the church. Paul says, hey, uh, you know, let's forgive that guy. So he's, he's talking about forgiveness. Let's restore, let's forgive, you know, let's forgive. And he says, lest the devil or the enemy should actually, I think I, do I have it? Oh, yes, lest we, we cannot be ignorant of his devices. That's what it says. That word devices is the word mind. Every other time it's translated, it's translated mind. I don't know why they translated their devices. In other words, he's saying, if, if we don't forgive, if we don't, there's actually, you're falling prey to the way the enemy thinks. So the enemy has a way of thinking. The Bible says we can have the mind of Christ. He has a way of thinking too. The Bible says that the enemy has a doctrine, 1 Timothy 4. Actually, I'm going to go to John 8 quickly. I don't think I put it up there for you. My apologies. You're all tracking with me. It's interesting, isn't it? John 8, Jesus is pretty harsh here, not in a bad way, but he's making something very plain and very clear when he's arguing, in a sense, that the Pharisees are coming against him, and he says, you are of your father the devil. Imagine saying that to the religious leaders. Why? Because they hadn't had a new nature yet. That's what he's saying. You're following his way of thinking. You, just don't, you don't know it. You're blinded by a religious system. He says, you are of your father, the devil, John 8, verse 44, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because why? There is no truth in him. None. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. The word father means to come forth from. So he was the, the origin of all lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe. <laughs> so that's the way Jesus speaks of the enemy. Now in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, the Bible says, In the latter days you will have deceiving spirits who will uh, deceive many with the doctrine of demons. So we see the enemy not only has a way of thinking, the, not, the enemy actually has a belief system, has a, like an actual belief system, a doctrine. The Bible says it. And it's all based on lies and fear. You know, the other day, my son, he's five. We're sitting at the breakfast table, and he says this to me. You know, when God speaks to you through your children, you know, you're just like, please teach me more, son. He says, he says Daddy... He's sitting, he says, I don't know where this comes from. We were speaking about Choco's cereal. And that obviously, God just spoke to me. He says, Daddy, the devil was the one who started lies, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And he goes, he goes, hmm. And he's just quiet. And then like three minutes later, he says, 
Dad, you know, it's like, this is the exact words, it's like the devil built a lying machine, and he actually, he says, and he wants everyone else to use it. And I was like, uh-huh, wow, that, you got it. I mean, he's five. So the enemy also has cunning and deceitful methods. Number three, put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, so that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy. That word wiles is the word methodia in the Greek. It's where we get our word method. He has methods. He has a doctrine and he has methods. He has ways. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. The enemy does this geographically through principalities which set up strongholds, as I've explained, patterns of thinking and thoughts are lies and deception. Where is that in the Bible? Well, Daniel chapter 10, you're not going to go into it, you can go read it, when Daniel sets his, he sets his heart to fast and pray and uh, for the whole nation that he was involved in because of his spiritual authority and his practical position. So he sets his heart to pray, and for 21 days he's fasting, and an angel, Gabriel, comes through and speaks to him. He says, I came from the first moment you started to pray, but the prince of Persia, that is not a physical prince, and that's not some weird other way of talking about Persia. It's a, it's a principal spirit, principality, the prince of that physical region, withstood me for 20 days. And I love this story because it's like high school. So Gabriel's like, all right, no problem. I have a friend, his name is Michael, and I'm going to go call him. And that's what happened. He goes and calls Michael. Michael pulls out the big sword. Okay, move, everyone move, and Gabriel goes through. I mean, it's an amazing story. That's in the Bible. When Jesus came to the demoniac in Mark 5 and in Luke 11, you'll see it. The man who was fully possessed, the enemy had full control of all his faculties. You know the demoniac in the tomb of the Gadarenes? He comes there, and what, was the, what, did, the, what did that spirit say from that man? Says Jesus told them to go, and they says they begged Jesus. They begged him, please don't send us out of the area. They begged him, because there's a geographical assignment. Principalities, principal spirits, rulers. These are over different geographical regions with the desire to set up a stronghold, a fortress of lies which masquerade as truth influencing the way people think within that area. This is to establish the influence in the culture until that culture is following the enemy's path all the while the people believe that they are free, that they are doing good, and that it's based on truth and justice. Does this make sense? You see it around us, don't we? Yeah? We see it around us. And it's based on lies and fear. So, let's talk about the kingdom of God. That's a better kingdom. It's the original one. We speak about the gospel. Jesus spoke about the kingdom. Matthew 24, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all, then I will come. In, Mar in Matthew 4, it says Jesus went about teaching the gospel of the kingdom. What's the difference? If it's just the gospel, gospel means good news. My dad preached last week about this great salvation. If it's just the gospel... Man becomes central. It's all about us. It's all about me. 
The gospel of the kingdom, actually, the kingdom means the dominion of a king, the king's domain. The gospel, the good news of the dominion of our king. It becomes about Jesus, not about me. The gospel of the kingdom. So, in the days of old, some of you have heard me say this, they would have two kingdoms, two actual physical kingdoms that would fight against each other, and then they would, they would be a runner, they would report, they would report who won, and they were called evangels, euaglion in the Greek. And this evangel would run with banners and instruments, and that's actually, David talked a lot about that in the establishment of worship, but this, that's where we get our word evangelist. And they would run, and the watchman would stand on the walls and see the Euaglion, the, the little evan- the evangel, running and shouting, victory, victory, victory. And so they said, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. It means that all, my, all, all the people, all the wives, the children, the kingdom, the people are not going to be taken slaves. They're not going to be killed. It was, it was actually kind of a big deal. And that's where we get our word evangelist. That's, and so that's the evangels. So it's very un- important for us to understand that the gospel of the kingdom is the proclamation of a battle that has taken place that has been won, which means we are no longer slaves to sin and death to hell and the grave. That's actually the gospel. It's actually no longer slaves. We sang it this morning. We're placed in God's family as sons and as daughters, given His righteousness. It's just too good. So now, let's talk about the church. Let's talk about the church. This is where it gets interesting. Go to Matthew 16 if you can. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Matthew 16 we're going to go to verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, we know this story, many of us. He asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, excuse me, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, us looking back, we think, oh, wow, he, like, he got it, like, oh. Actually, it was blasphemy in their culture. They didn't believe that God had a son. They believed Israel was God's son. Which is why the Pharisees really struggled. What God's son? No, Israel's God's son. And so yeah, Peter, by literally revelation from the Father, well, actually, let's just read it. Jesus does a better job of explaining this than I. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's got nothing to do with your mind, your acuity, your mental skill, nothing. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not the keys to the kingdom. He's of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus only used the word twice, church twice. He only spoke, he only used that word twice. 
Both times, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Matthew 16, the, the global church. Matthew 18, a local church. Both times he uses the word church, he talks about binding and loosing. Now, we're going to get into that in the coming weeks. What does that actually mean? But both times he uses the word church, he talks about conflict. Conflict. And yet we're not to be warfare focused. Not at all. But he does talk about conflict. And there's people that say, well, I just, I bind the devil. Yeah, no, you didn't. No, not really, because <laughs> Jesus said, the, the Son of God, in 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God was made manifest that he may destroy the works of the enemy. He'll get bound one day. So, let's look at the church. Can I give you guys a little quick history lesson? Very, very fast. I know today is a teaching, but it's important for where we're going. The quote will come up behind me. Greeks, now we're looking at the church. Ecclesia. Some people say ecclesia. It's actually pronounced ecclesia. But Greeks came up with a concept. That's a Greek word for church. Greeks came up with a concept of democracy, but they never fully applied it. But they formed the idea. So when the Romans took over the Greek empire, they implemented and developed the thoughts of the Greek concerning government which is how Caesar developed such a powerful government. This is why some, I mean historians, have called the Romans practical leaders. They have put into practice what others theorized about. So the Romans in this process developed something called the Senate. The Senate. Now the Senate in Rome was not like the, the Senate here, or the senators here. It was more like a cabinet. These were hand-picked, chosen people. Hand-picked by, by Caesar, by the emperor. And their job was to receive through, through relationship, they would literally live in or around the palace or the whatever it was called, to receive through relationship his mind, his heart, his will, his intentions, his desires. And their main job was to, be the, to, to legislate that, what he wants, into the entire kingdom so that his will can be seen in everyday life. Okay? That was called the Senate. That word, Senate, that word from the Roman practice is what was happening when Jesus was on the earth. That word is the word Ecclesia. That's where Jesus gets the word. So we think of church, we think of a religious thing. Yeah? The church, even the word church was never meant to be a religious word. It was a governmental, I don't want to say the word political, but it was a governmental term, governmental authority. That's actually what the word means. It is actually, and it actually means the, summer, the, the gathering of those summoned or chosen. And we've translated it church, but it's a governmental term. It's a governmental term because why did Jesus say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom? You know, in those days as well, when, like, when a king would go away or whatever, he would appoint what? A steward. I'm almost done with the teaching, and then, then we're going to be done. It's very important, though. He would appoint a steward, and they would sew or imprint or put on his, on his like, steward robe a key on the shoulder. It, wasn't a, it was representing something. You know, the Bible talks about the key of David, talks about that the government will be on his shoulders. That's us, the church. So he would walk around with a little key on his shoulders telling everyone, I've been given the power and authority of the king and now I sit in his throne as a steward. It's not my throne, but I sit in it as a steward. 
That's what a steward was. So, it's very important, and this may offend some of you, but when Jesus said he'll give us the keys to the kingdom, and he talked about the ecclesia, I will give the, the power and the authority that the Senate in Rome was the power, the, ooh, I'm spilling water, was the, the power and the authority of all of Rome. And Jesus said, that's my ecclesia. I will build my ecclesia, my church. And I will give unto them the keys of the kingdom. And they will implement in the kingdom my government, my desires, my will, my intentions, my purposes. So, Jesus never really created a religion. But a governmental body of authority based on his once-for-all victory. A chosen people even told the disciples, you didn't choose me, buddy, I chose you. Through which his heart, his plans, and his purposes can be implemented to bring freedom to all those born into slavery. Does that make sense? So Ephesians 3, now we've run out of time, almost. Ephesians 3 says this. This is literally what it says. To me, Ephesians 3, verse 8 to 14, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this Paul speaking, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. That word fellowship, actually let me just read it. Which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden. What the mystery? From the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent, or so that, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the ecclesia, by my government, by my power arm, by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose, my purposes, my plans, my heart, my will, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Now, we begin to pick that apart, and I'll just do it quickly. The fellowship of the mystery. There's a mystery. The Bible says it in Ephesians. God says it in Romans 16, in Colossians 1. There's a mystery that was never before revealed. Before the creation of the world, this mystery was never revealed into the earth. And it says the fellowship. That word fellowship actually there means stewardship. Steward. It's better translated to steward. There's the stewardship of this mystery, which is what? All that Christ is one. The riches of Christ to speak, the riches of Christ, all that he won, because the riches was to take spoils, yeah, bounty, that's where it would come from, all the riches of Christ to speak and to proclaim in such a way that all people, says Gentiles, that's all everyone, would come to see the expanse of the victory of Jesus Christ. And the mystery, which is what? That we can all, all race, creed, age, doesn't matter, can come under one banner, Jesus Christ. And that he will then be in us, the mystery revealed, Colossians 1. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So he says, we are called to steward that mystery, the mystery that was never before revealed. Otherwise, it says the rulers would have never crucified him. Actually says that. 
They would have done every, the enemy would have done everything he could to stop Jesus being crucified if he knew that he would rise again and put himself into each one of you and form his ecclesia, which can now proclaim with boldness and with access this great mystery that now Christ is in us and we can be as one no matter your history, no matter your past. And we can bring into the earth his government, his power, his authority. That is literally what that says. I'll read you this. To preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to all people. To be the evangel whose message of good news will make all people understand that we can be one. And also have Christ in us so that the king's ecclesia, his power and authority, we can make known to all the various principalities and powers and that God defeated them. That's who we've got to make it known to. It says, to the intent that through the church we would make this known to them, principalities and powers, that, that we would make known to all the various principalities and powers that God defeated them in His wisdom, the Bible says, before the creation of the world. And that His purposes, His desires, His intentions, His passions will be implemented by the Holy Spirit through the ecclesia because He has put a key on our shoulder. <laughs> and we are in Christ. And He, Christ, the Bible says, is seated above every principality, every power, every might. Ephesians 1, I'm literally just every might and dominion and every name that is named. And God the Father who gave Him to be head over the church and we have fullness in all things, Christ His body, the ecclesia. And still so many think, well, I'm just going to church. No. No. No, 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 no. No. It's much, much, much more. Colossians 2 says, You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, He made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that's the law that we couldn't live up to, that Jesus lived up to on our behalf to make us righteous, that was against us, contrary to us. He has taken out of the way, nailed it to the, to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them. So when you get saved, friends, you become part of this ecclesia, the government of God on the earth. <laughs> to the intent so that the principalities and powers will see through you, specifically as a group, the wisdom and the power of God displayed to dis because they've been disarmed. And yet, even though they've been disarmed, as we read in Ephesians 2, to those who are not saved, it says it is still setting the course in the culture of the world. We just read that. That's after the cross that was written. And it's still working within the sons of disobedience. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. You are my ecclesia. <laughs> Last verse. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For what? Pulling down strongholds. 
This is not just for apostles and prophets, friends. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing, that means rampart, every barrier that gets in the way in the supernatural realm and in a person's heart. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. We'll speak about that first next weekend. What are the weapons? What are the mighty weapons that we've been given? If we don't know the mighty weapons, and most of them are not warfare, enemy, devil focused. Most of them. You know one? Joy. Joy. Fun. Joy. One is praise, unity, worship. And yes, binding, loosing, warfare, intercession, absolutely. But there's mighty weapons that we've been given in God to actually bring down strongholds. One of the greatest things we can do is to be united, not according to our ideas, our ideals. When the world is offended, I could say anything in the world and a lot of people will be anything. Humpty Dumpty, I'm offended. I saw a little cartoon a meme the other day, it was a father standing there with a cookie, and he says, what's the magic word to the kid to get this cookie? And the little kid goes, I'm offended. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely stupid. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Friends, <laughs> we need to see God's people equipped, not with styles, not with style, not with methodology, not with my great anointing. No, no, his intent, his purposes, his authority, his power to change the life. Because truth embodied in a person is very powerful. Truth embodied in a group pulls down strongholds. Acts chapter 2, they were in one accord. That means same mind, same passion, same heart. They were in one accord, very important, and in one place. And then suddenly the Spirit of God came. Boom. We'll leave it there. <laughs> That's a lot of Scripture. But it's truth. And it's important. Because it's, I just, God, I just when I was praying and I was away for five days praying, I just felt the Lord said, it's time for my people to be equipped. There is a kingdom. There are kingdoms and heavens. But you are his ecclesia, his power arm. So don't let the devil push you around. Because to you, you are not under those principalities and powers. Because to you, those things have been disarmed. And you are seated in heavenly places. You look down at them, not up. Don't let them control you. Amen.